Hello, everybody, and welcome to Just Nas Science Podcast. Each episode, we debunk ridiculous yet common science misconceptions we find online and get just a little salty about them. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nick. But before we get started, if you want to help support the show, leaving a five-star rating and following us on social media are two super easy and free ways you can help us out. So today, we're going to explore the science of monogamy and debate whether or not we as a species were ever really meant to mate for life. And being that Nick and I are supposed to get married in a few months, it's about to get awkward. It's mostly awkward. Now everybody's uncomfortable. <laughs> I am not happy with the energy that we've created here in the studio. <laughs> we shouldn't have just watched a Kevin Hart stand up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as Laura mentioned, we were scheduled to get married in about three months from the time we're recording this. However, considering the global climate, uh, we decided to postpone it. We are, we are still getting married. Just the actual celebration will be, uh, you know, postponed. Thanks a lot, 2020. You <laughs> suck. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, you know, we, we decided it might be fun since we just made this decision about our wedding to talk about, well, do people actually mate for life or, or were we designed to mate for life? We know some people do. Some people have marriages of 50, 60 years, but is that common? Short answer is no. No, definitely not. <laughs> Uh, the odds for me and Lauren, not looking too hot. <laughs> and in the wise words of Bill Burr, is this the line to get into to lose half my shit? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're not familiar, Bill Burr has a great, great stand-up bit on, on marriage. Uh, but anyway, you know, we were doing a little bit of research and we kind of started the idea with the concept of the seven-year itch. And... As we were doing some research, we found out that, you know, there are about 17 new marriages for every 1,000 women aged 15 and older, which why they use age 15 is kind of gross, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you have to factor Florida in there, so. <laughs> but 17 uh, seems low for every 1,000. I would Yeah. But for every 17 new marriages for every 1,000 women aged 15 and older, there are also eight new divorces every year for the same population so of women. So basically like half. Yeah, roughly. So it, it really made us wonder, are we meant to mate for life? There's an estimate that around 3 to 5% of mammals mate for life with humans being included, but that's a really low number. But also, mate for life doesn't necessarily mean that they're faithful. Right. So... That is something, you know, we were kind of like digging up as we were going through notes and stuff for this article, coming to find again and again that mating for life and being faithful for life are definitely two separate things. So let's take a just a quick step back at our evolutionary history, right? It's believed that modern humans appeared in Africa some 100 to 200,000 years ago. Remember, this timeline is, is changing as new evidence comes up, but that's the, that's the numbers we got for now. Monogamy, on the other hand, is only thought to be about a thousand years old. 
Although that is also a malleable number. We found other sources that had it was a little bit older, but yeah. just to get the point across that it hasn't always it hasn't always been around. Somewhere between one and ten percent of our history as a species, which is a pretty big range, but you know, whatever. Obviously, in humans, monogamy for the most part has been widely accepted as as normal and for anything to happen evolutionarily there has to be some advantage there has to be a reason why it continues and in the terms of monogamy there's a couple of different uh reasons or why advantages was, I'd say. yeah so the first one is it's beneficial for population control and lauren wrote this so i'm gonna let her explain it well especially as you know you become like an agrarian population you know, you have to grow food and you have to store for over the winter. You can't be feeding 20 kids all the time. So, and even now, today, even though um, we're not, we're, we still obviously grow our food and we're agrarian, even in terms of like going to the grocery store, it's expensive to have kids. So to have 20 kids, you know, 19 and counting, sorry, but like that's not really like the best way to go about it. Super expensive. Lauren and I struggle to feed ourselves. <laughs> I couldn't imagine adding like seven plus tiny mouths in there. Yeah, it's it's a lot to handle. Plus, I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I was eating everything. I mean, but I guess I guess in you know earlier humans, you know, think back a hundred thousand years ago. Parents probably weren't feeding their teenage kids. Like, they were, by 15, you were probably married or having your own kids. Yeah, no, most definitely. By, like, nine, I was like, you're a man now, so you do this. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not far off. Um, in Samurais, from what I understand, uh, by the time a child was between the ages of three and six, they stopped using wooden swords, um, and they started using real swords if they were being trained as a samurai three which is terrifying because i well, maybe it was six it was somewhere between three and six and even some of our like mm, pre-teens i'm like i don't know if i'd trust you to cross the street by yourself yeah for so. sure but anyway uh, we, we this is sorely off the, of the subject uh so you know population control is one aspect there's also another thing of mate scarcity right it's it's hard think about it right now try dating it's hard so <laughs> yes, but I this, think I mean, this the, is us being selective. The studies from the sources we were looking at said that one of the possible or the popular theories as to why we became monogamous is because mates were literally scarce. Not like you're being selective on Tinder. This is like there's only so many women per square mileage, right? Yeah. So it may be more beneficial to find one woman, mate with her, and ensure that that child survives rather than going off in the hopes of maybe finding somebody else. Which, by the way, monogamy is a great tool for child-rearing, right? Getting a child to a particular age drastically improves the overall survival of that child. And I think it's pretty common knowledge that lifespans, um, you know, for earlier humans were pretty low. But a big reason why they were as low as they were was because of uh infant mortality so you know children dying at the age of somewhere between six months and two years really drives down mortality uh the life expectancy yeah and just think about like prebiotics and stuff like a freaking paper cut or something you 
I feel like you could die from if it got infected. You know what I mean? Like, it just so many things could have gone wrong. You mean pre-antibiotics? Yeah, did I? You said prebiotics, which I think someone oh. will probably hurt here as probiotics. <laughs> no, I meant pre-antibiotics. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I feel like it's just a lot more sketchy back then. Um, so having two parents look after you, I think, is just so much better in terms of ensuring that child's survival. Well, it's not just you who thinks that. There's actually uh, some studies that suggest that males took a ch- uh, took child rearing uh, a step further once monogamy evolved. So there's some evidence that suggests infanticide, meaning the the murder of infants, was prevalent back in earlier humans, and, and it still exists in some animals. Uh, don't lions or tigers? Lions. Lions do uh, that. Very well known for that. So what they do is when a new male, a new like head male comes in, he like murders all the lion cubs, and then he mates with a little female to have his own. So if the males stuck around, they could, you know, try to prevent this. There's also the idea that males um, hunting and scavenging for meat and other foods and stuff, they can bring it back and supply it to their offspring. And this might have helped to guide our development of our larger brains. You know, our brains use a tremendous amount of energy, about 20% of our energy. And for early humans to achieve the needed calories and protein, meat consumption was likely included in that. And, and think about it, you know, if there's any moms out there listening, some of you know that some women, their newborn babies latch onto that breast for breastfeeding and some, some of them like never, ever get off, right? So you are tied down to that house like all day long or even if it's not like that, but still doing it every three hours. Think about back then, how much time are you really going like getting to go out and look for food and, you know, if you have to leave the baby behind, you don't have very long to do that. So having that second person to bring in more calories is way better for you, for the development of the child. Um, and in one of the studies we read about this said that male rearing or caring helped us, like, break that glass ceiling of, like, really developing our brains and becoming, like, a step up from our primate um, ancestors. Female foxes uh, actually have... Vixens. To, vixens. I love Yeah. Uh, they actually have to deal with that. They they produce a very thin milk. I guess it's not particularly nutritious. Mm-hmm. So the baby fox cubs are feeding constantly. So the mother really doesn't leave the den, which means without her male counterpart, she would starve or, or she would have to leave her, her babies unattended, which you don't want to do. Yeah, there's several species like that. Obviously, penguins, lots of birds do that. Um, like, don't leave the nest ever. You know, for a while, uh, while like sitting on the eggs and newly hatched, so it's it's a common thing that you need those two um, well, parents. Wasn't it penguins that like it takes like the parent a day to go catch food, and they have to like jump off like this super dangerous cliff to go get it? Um, and I think it may be longer than that. And they have when they come back, it's basically time for the other parent to go and get food. Yeah, it's such a harsh life. Because they can't leave the babies because there's all these predatory birds circling above them. Right, so they'll either eat the chicks, but then it's like if something happens to the mate while they're out eating and they die, it's either like that other one that was on the nest sit there and starves, or if they go out and eat, their baby dies. Like, it's just horrible. <laughs> like, I hate to think about it. So those are some reasons why monogamy started right and we haven't really addressed the question of were we or are we designed to be together for life so far we've addressed all different points as to why people 
or, or animals stay together during the offspring's infancy. Um, one other interesting note is that doing all this research, we kind of found out that in areas where there were high amounts of unmarried men, crime rates tended to increase. So monogamy might have been a way to help reduce crime and violence in humans. Um, but again, were we meant to, you know, to live together forever? Hmm. Interesting. I, listen, I know plenty of people who finally calmed down after getting like a girlfriend or something <laughs> in high school. It's like, Phew, you needed that. <laughs> but consider a survey from 2007, right? So it said about one fifth of people have actually cheated on their current partner while nearly half of the participants stated that they cheated on a partner at some point in their life. So the highest number of correspondents said that they cheated between three and five years into the relationship, which is interesting because... Oh, we're we're going to get there. We're going to get there. I just love this topic. So, you know, we kind of alluded to the idea before of a seven-year itch. And if you're not familiar, it's that supposed make or break point where most couples get divorced. However, scientists think it may actually be sooner. Yes, so it may actually be a four-year itch. Many species who are considered monogamous, right? Lots of birds tend to stay together for only maybe a breeding season. Or if they have two broods during a season, they only stay with the male for one of those broods. And then they go off and find a better mate, so to speak, for the second one. So it's really only for rearing those chicks to the point or rearing the offspring to the point where... They're pretty, like, you know, if they've made it to this point, there's a good chance of survival, right? Then they go and find somewhere else. Well, it seems to be that that, that time period for humans is when the offspring or kids about four years old. They're going to be somewhat self-sufficient, right? They can walk. They can express that they're hungry. They can kind of scavenge, which they can scavenge really well. Let me tell you something. My four-year-olds I work with, they will find a bead in the grass like a mile away. They love that shit. But... So that's kind of the age where a lot of relationships tend to break down. Yeah, if you had a guess, what after how many years of marriage do the most number of people get divorced each year? What would it be? Is it seven years in? No, it's four. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's a trick question. I'm like, didn't we just say four? And then no, like... we said after most people have cheated about three to five years into their relationship, it's the highest that's the time period which the most people said they had cheated after. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. But no, the most number of people reported divorce after about four years of marriage. Now, is it people were cheating and therefore getting divorced? I don't know. Right. Well, you have to remember, like, take averages, taking averages into account or the mode number. It obviously isn't like a perfect thing like so if someone has like a zero that really can drive the average down right so we should be looking at median not yeah. mean i and, agree but just... and I, I couldn't necessarily find um some something that had this exact evidence that i remember hearing a long time ago but i i did once hear that there was archaeological data that shows evidence of the male disappearing when the child would be about four or so years of age, like artifacts in the mouth stuff would be gone because most likely he had moved on to find another mate. But I, I couldn't necessarily find evidence to back that up, so I'm just putting that out there. So really, it's anecdotal. Right. But what would be some of the benefits of a mate leaving after only four years? And when we say mate, we usually mean males, 
females most often tend to stay with their offspring for much longer periods of time just because of the amount of investment that pregnancy and, and kind of, you know, the toll it takes. You really want to see that offspring grow. Um, so when we say mate leaving, and all, we, we usually mean male. So why why leave after four years? What's so special about that? Well, mating with different females, different partners, allows for greater genetic variation within our species. And that's something that's really beneficial to our survival as a species. You know, there's even a research studies that suggest humans prefer mates with immune systems that are different from our own. And we think we may be able to use some sort of pheromone sensors located within our nose to kind of um, attract or find these people. But the full extent and use of that is still kind of unknown. Um, But obviously, if you mate with someone who has a different immune system, your offspring is going to have potentially a lot of immunity and, and good aspects to it for lots of various different things. You know, if you have a lot of asexual, let's say, plants, and then a disease comes through and wipes out that crop, well, that sucks because they're all identical and they didn't really have a good, like, immune defense, basically. So um, having that variation is very important for long-term survival. Other animals also kind of do this thing called pair bonding, which we mentioned before, where they only stay together until their offspring leaves the nest. I mentioned foxes do that before. Once a bird or a fox cub leaves the nest or den for the last time, that's it. The mate tends to move on and we call and they, they find a new mate and we call this serial pair bonding. Mm. Blue mountain birds pair for one or two breeding seasons or sometimes just a, a single brood. Yeah, so the Blue Mountain Birds, they're an interesting one. They actually, once they bond for, you know, like a breeding season, a lot of times the male almost never leaves the female side. Or if he goes off a little bit to find food or something, he'll usually stay in constant either visual contact with her or chirp at her constantly to make sure no other male is sneaking up on that. <laughs> um, they get a, they get their known for being kind of jealous. Um, That's interesting. And I I want to say it was them, or it could have been a different species. I feel like I learned this when watching Planet Earth like years back, that if the female presents herself for mating too quickly, that the male will actually turn her down. I remember watching that with you. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, and I thought that was so interesting because I you see like a, a mirror of like human behavior in that sometimes. Like it's considered like looked down on if, if a woman is like too promiscuous, right? Um, so it's like, oh, well, then who else are you doing this with type of thing? Right. Um, and that goes back to our innate, um, our, our instinct of wanting to be the person that is providing the genetic material, you know, because you don't want to be cuckold, right? Which brings us to the next thing I wanted to bring up is that... Before, before you do, I will give you $50 yes. if you could tell me who invented the word cuckold. I thought you were going to say if I could spell it. <laughs> uh, I would give you an additional 50 if you could spell it. Um, I feel like I I feel like I feel once knew where the word cuckold came from. Okay, so share. I, but I don't remember. Okay, so that's 50 gone. How do you spell it? C-U-C-K-O-L-E-D. Ooh, you're so close. No E. No oh, e. I'm not a good speller, guys. This is why you should read more as a child. <laughs> oh, man. You just, you just lost 100 bucks. I'm so sorry. Wait, where did cuckold come from? Shakespeare. Oh. The cuckold horns. Also, probably where the term horny came from. 
<laughs> Didn't we have this conversation recently? We did, which is why I offered you money if you got it right, because I knew you weren't going to remember. I have a baby memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is interesting. This After doing some research, this seems to be like the best case scenario for a lot of species, right? This goes back to the idea that we were saying in the beginning. Mating for life doesn't necessarily mean you are faithful to your like social mate. So the, it seems the best thing for the females is that if they have a social mate that helps rear and take care of the offspring, but she'd be getting those genes from somebody else. So when it comes to birds, scientists have found that it can be up to 70% of females actually lay eggs by an outsider because it diversifies the gene pool. Maybe their feathers were a little bit brighter. Their mate dance was a little bit better. And it makes the chicks more resistant to disease. And her social mate often doesn't know the difference, so he helps to raise them anyway. So it's a win-win for the female. Now, I'd be interested to know, does the male bird, is he laying eggs with other females as well? I'd say probably. Right? Because if so many female birds are, are having eggs from outsiders, it's likely that the male bird isn't, quote-unquote, faithful either. Right. Otherwise, where are these where are these outsider birds coming from? Exactly. Like, he may be the better bird to somebody else, you know, from Becky down the block. Who knows? <laughs> oh, shit. He'd be getting in them genes to give them genes. Yeah. But it seems like, you know, monogamy is good in terms of Raising the offspring, raising the child to get to a steady age for survival. But it doesn't necessarily always mean that the genetic material is coming from those two parents. Right? It's just to kind of get them to that, like, that next level, the offspring. Because remember, reproduction fitness is the ability to produce offspring. Right? That's fitness. Um, And that's really every species goal. You want to be able to pass your genes on. And that's like the goal of for life in terms of evolutionary standpoint. Monogamy helps get that offspring to survive, but you also want that genetic variation. So it's like, you know, it's like the woman who marries the rich nerdy guy because he could provide a good life for the kids, but she secretly gets knocked up by, you know, like the strong, handsome guy from the gym or something, you know, but he doesn't have a lot of money or whatever. You know, she gets those good genes, but she also provides the life you know, that will allow her kids to survive. I'm so happy you don't go to the gym anymore. (laughs) But, you know, obviously monogamy has its issues, right? Not even just from an evolutionary standpoint with the inability to adapt because monogamous species often have fewer children because they spend their time raising the children they do have. Um, So, you know, there's less uh, genetic mutation. I'm sorry, less genetic variants and overall less genetic mutations over the generations but think about it from a social context right because we're talking about humans we live in a a social hierarchy or social system Mm -hmm. divorce and parental issues and, and relationship issues kind of leak onto your children you can imprint behaviors onto them that you might not have intended to so i think that's really interesting such as I don't have anything to back that up. I just I just think it's interesting, psych- like socially. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so you really can sure. like scar your kids for life with a bad <laughs> divorce. So, 
you know, yeah. I, I don't do that. Yeah. I don't really know why I brought it up a hundred percent. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk more about the cons of monogamy. Like, no, because I, I like, you know, that's something that I remember talking back way back in like college is, you know, adapting to a rapidly changing climate. You know, a lot of climate change biomes are changing very quickly, like the Arctic, right? It's some of the fastest changing areas on earth right now. And if you're having only like one offspring per year, you're not giving the species as a whole a whole lot of chances to adapt because there's not going to be a lot of genetic variation. Meanwhile, if you're like fruit flies, we're not, I mean, they got a new generation like every 30 seconds. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> mutations and changes and things and you're more likely to be able to find something that works to adapt to a new environment. On that note, I do want to make this sort of last kind of comment about uh, genetic adaptation and environmental adaptation. You got to remember, since since you brought up fruit flies compared to say polar bears, fruit flies and polar bears, the genetic material and, and composition are very very different. Um, the way humans, like our bodies, are set up, we have extremely conserved genomes for the most part, right? If you have a a, a person who they they have a mutation in their hemoglobin. Well, then they have a disease, and it's called sickle cell anemia. And if they have something that's even more severe, well, then it's probably not a viable individual. So keep in mind that mutations aren't always ideal. Um, you know, I, I just of course there's honestly there's silent mutations that don't do anything. There's ones that lead to beneficial things, that allows you to adapt better. Which I I feel like is more common, like the silent or silent ones. Sil- silent mutations, silent point mutations in in the proton codon, the third uh, amino acid spot is the most commonly mutated, and it often does nothing because the because genetic it doesn't code- change the. Uh, it doesn't change the pro- the amino acid, the amino correct? Acid, yes. Right. It's, we have a lot of redundancy in our genetic. Yes. Okay, we're getting off topic again. Oh, so that's why I'm like kind of speeding through this because like we're done. So. <laughs> well, no, I want to wrap it back around. No, I said we're the fact that <laughs> we're getting married soon. Oh yeah. So like, are humans meant to be monogamous? I mean, remember, our, our social and. Um, intellectual ability to have societies and all this kind of stuff can trump our biology right we can we can win over our biology and we can do that we can but we often don't <laughs> well that's a different story now that's that's a question for the individual that's not mm-hmm. humans as a species that's you as a person are you and your significant other right for each other and I, don't ask each other that because I don't want to be responsible. But, you know, it's it's an important question that you and I, uh, I think, answer just by virtue of getting through this quarantine together uh, and continuing to go through quarantine Well, yeah, together. and then obviously there's almost like 8 billion, you know, humans. So I think genetic variation isn't as much of an issue with us. You know, there's enough of us where, you know, Nick and I can have two kids and be faithful to each other for the rest of our lives and like we'd be good as a species like that's not gonna do anything to the species at all i don't, th- I don't think the goal of this episode was to defend our decision to or not to have children well, no no that, that's not it <laughs> that's what it turned into <laughs> but honestly if you were to ask me i think that humans and most species aren't really made to be 
100% monogamous. No. And I don't think it's in. Yeah, I think it's socially and fitness, like socially beneficial and sur- survivally beneficial, if that's even a word. But in terms of like genetic variation and, and fitness of having different children, a lot of children with genetic variation, it's not. I mean, think about the social pressure to not get divorced or to get married. I mean, humans, I mentioned before, we have a, a social hierarchy and social status matters. And you don't want to do anything that will decrease your position on the social ladder. And while it isn't necessarily true that getting divorced lowers your status, um, years ago it was, right? Oh, yeah, like, you, like you a divorced could, woman, like, that was a, you couldn't find a job a lot of times. You couldn't even get divorced up until a certain point in history. Yeah. You know, like, so... I'm, obviously, I'm not going to get into it, but obviously, like, religion plays a huge role um, in monogamy, divorce, things like that. So right. there's so, a lot of social factors now. So I think there's a lot of social pressures for people to stay together, even when they shouldn't or... Um, Definitely, but I, but I love the idea. It's like, but what trumps? Is it the social culture or is it our biology? And I always find that fascinating. It's always like that nature versus nurture argument too. It's like, what is it that ultimately decides? Or is it never one or the other? Is it always a combination? I mean, and I think that sociobiology fascinates me so much. It, it definitely has to be a combination because look at the divorce rates per year, new divorces per year compared to new marriages per year. It's about half, which means half of the people are saying, no, our evolu- our biology is, is winning, right? Our desire to be with other people or, or to just not be with each other, whatever the case may be, uh, wins in that case. And then in the other half of people who stay together, they might not be staying together because they love each other. They might be staying together out of necessity or because finances or something or just again those social pressures which is now it's that's our human imposed um requirements or whatever you want to call it that is beating our biology yeah and not to mention there's a lot of like our bodies not just us other species have developed physically to ensure that like this male is the one whose um sperm is the one that's fertilizing the egg like wolves when they mate like their genitals locked together for like up to 30 minutes sometimes to ensure that no other male gets in there and gets his sperm in there too. And it gives the male sperm a chance to fertilize. Like there's a lot of weird stuff like that. So it's like if we were really meant to be monogamous and find the one, our soulmate, we wouldn't need that. Chimpanzees, uh, they evolved to have really high sperm counts for the same kind of reason, just to increase the likelihood of uh, fertilizing an egg. Which, yeah. yeah, you would think like if we were meant to have like a one and only, each individual genitalia would be like per- shaped differently. Lock and key. Yeah, it'd be like a lock and key. Can <laughs> you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, <laughs> like well, that's not a fit. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, would, they would have to be like some kind of ceremony at like age, you know, historically speaking, it'd probably be an age like somewhere between 14 and 16 uh, where you like reveal your genitalia and you have to find your match. <laughs> And that's, but what if you couldn't like reveal it? Like it was just like because you can't like see like on the inside looks no, like. No, so no, it's no, like, no, no. You, you just have to try out a bunch of bunch of keys and see which one is the lock. <laughs> you you put up a partition and it's just insert. No, that's not it. And just <laughs> and it's just a line of people and each one tries a different one. Yeah, that'd be so weird if they're like. 
that soulmate thing was real, which, you know, whatever. To each his own. You want to believe what you want. I think Nick is like, is basically my soulmate. If he can't deal with me, nobody can. Um, but there's definitely no lock and key happening. <laughs> and it's so weird. D- despite the fact that I do agree that Lauren is the only person that I... I, th- I think when we say this, I think it's reasonable to say she is the only person that I will meet in my lifetime that I would be so compatible with, right? Eight billion people on this planet. There has to be another person who is just as compatible, right? It's just it's just statistically unlikely that they wouldn't be. However... The chance that you'd meet them, right. maybe not so much. And even if we're compatible personality, are we compatible intellectually? Or are we compatible morally are we compatible you know right is there the physical aspect like there's so many different components that kind of go into a relationship and and we're kind of stepping in the freud's territory with the the three pillars of love where there's intimacy which means trust uh infatuation and uh commitment and if you have intimacy and commitment if you can trust each other and you're committed to each other but there's no infatuation there's no lust you're just friends and then if you have uh, infatuation and uh, trust, but there's no dedication, you're something else. Like he has all these different terms. It's pretty interesting. We are friends with benefits. That's what we call it. We're we're out of time here. That's gonna do it for us today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and especially share. I know we took a huge number of chances there, so thanks for bearing with us, I guess. Uh, it takes literal seconds to hit subscribe and click the five-star review button and it'll a whole lot to us. Positive ratings and shares on social media are the biggest way to help us spread this good, good signs to even more people. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at JustNazScience. And you can also visit our website at JustNazScience.com where you can watch YouTube videos, read blog posts, or submit questions and suggest topics for future episodes. Don't forget, we put out new episodes every Tuesday. And as always, thanks again for listening.